You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Locked On Browns, episode 116, episode 2. Uh, you know, another great guest. I keep coming up for you guys. I appreciate you guys so much for you know telling me who you want to hear. I reach out. It's working out. You know, like I tell all you guys, I want this show to be your show. Uh, Jordan Zerm with us this evening from ESPN Cleveland, Bleacher Report, Bleacher Report Complex, Uproxx, Cleveland Scene. Is there anything I missed, Jordan? <laughs> no, that that's uh, that's the extent of it. I uh, yeah, fortunate to have my work appear in, in, in multiple places. Okay, everybody, they're going to cover you for the carpal tunnel, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm already I, I'm already use, uh, losing the use of my hands, so we'll have to get that. We'll have to get some sort of uh, some sort of benefit from that. I got you. Um, as far as everything, you know, what's going on with you? Uh, you know, how's work going? How is everything? How are you right now? Things are good, man. Um, I, um, you know, I haven't. I joined ESPN Cleveland about a month ago, so um, still kind of getting settled in there and, and finding my my place. But everybody uh, there has been super uh, super welcoming, and, and it's a it's an awesome atmosphere to be in. Where guys are just talking Cleveland sports every day. So I really have no complaints about you know that being kind of my uh, my office now. And um, other than that, yeah, the uh, you know getting to do freelance writing and contributing to some cool places with some some cool editors and people that I, I I've got to know over my uh, my career has been um has been a really cool thing so it's been a um yeah it's a cool mix of of different mediums doing writing and podcasting and working at a radio station and all that good stuff so um it's it's kind of turned into a cool mix of of stuff that i love and it all you know surrounds sports so i you know i really can't complain about anything at the moment yeah and the diversity of it is nice because i mean you know it keeps you you know keeps the juices flowing when it's you know kind of split over you know obviously different things so i mean you know, obviously, God bless you. Good luck to you with the, you know, with everything that you're doing. Um, Thank you. There's no way to get around the fact that the team is currently 0-9. Um, you know, yes, there may have been some winnable situations. There may have been some winnable games, and you know, th- some things got flubbed, things of that nature. But uh, what's your feel on the product that here we are in year two of three? Like I mentioned to you earlier, year two of three of the build. Yeah, I um, I like your I like your analogy there of you know for a rebuild to happen there has to be some sort of foundation and they really kind of there was nothing there so it is a it is a build I think I'm gonna start just taking re out of there and just calling it the build. Um, yeah, I mean it's been a um, it's been a weird season. I mean it's been a weird couple of years um, just in terms of you don't you don't see this type of thing happening in the NFL very often teams. The NFL is set up in a way, um, people mention this all the time, where there's supposed to be this quote-unquote parity and you only need a year or two to kind of turn things around. But I've I've always kind of maintained that for as long as I've been paying attention to the Browns, which is since 1999, so this, this second coming of the Browns, it has been kind of nothing short of a, a disaster. They've made so many decisions and poor decisions and brought in so many wrong players and drafted so poorly, poorly that this, going into it, last year with this idea of kind of ripping everything down to start from scratch I was fully on board with because I had grown really tired of watching teams win five games and four games uh, with, a, with a group of players that um, you're either overpaying kind of over-the-hill veterans or you're trying to fit draft picks in that aren't that aren't good and you missed on picks and all that so I was more than happy to, to, to start over in the hopes that um, 
it would eventually and finally turn into a competitive product that not only would be competitive for a couple of years, but for a long time. You hopefully, when you build something like that, mostly through the draft, you can lock those guys up for a long time, and um, they're young, so they'll be around for a long time. So, I, I think that we all, everybody, media fans, whatever expected more than one win in their last 24 games um, or 25 games, whatever it may be. But I don't think, I think people get really caught up in the record. And obviously, yes, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's ineptitude that isn't seen in the NFL. But I think if you look at where they are and the, the types of players that they've brought in in these two years and the, the talent that is kind of sprayed around both the offensive and defensive side that's still developing and still so young. I like I find it very difficult for myself to get as worked up as other people do about it and wanting to fire everybody all over again and don't think the front offices can evaluate talent and all that. Like I I very much think that with a huge draft, another huge draft ahead of them where they have two more first round picks and multiple second and third rounders that are going to be high um, and another free agency period. And then another year of development from your quarterback, from miles Garrett, from Jabril peppers, from all these guys that if they can hit on this draft and they can pick up some players in free agency, I think year three, you're going to see a vastly different team. And I know people don't want to hear that. And I know people don't want to wait, but um, I, I feel okay about the path they're on. I, I'm not excited by any means that they that they, continue to, <laughs> that they continue to lose week after week. But I do think that if you ever want to get out of this black hole that they're in, that you need to kind of stick with what they're doing right now and kind of, and try to come out on the other other side of it. Uh, I think one thing, and you know, this was kind of you know nobody really you know really chimed much on it, but the fact that uh, you know Glover, the safety from Detroit actually said on Sunday, he said, you want to know what, Detroit, uh, Cleveland is more athletic than, you know, maybe one of the top athletic teams, you know, of over, over 24, 25 teams in the NFL. I think for Cleveland, that's a good thing. Like now, last year during the free agent cycle, you know, they did go okay. You know, they were able to solidify, you know, the offensive line by bringing some guys in, you know, gave them some, give some big money out. But when you've got a guy from an opposing team that spoke that well of that team, now, when you go into free agency and you have eighty plus million dollars, you kind of have a sellable product. Here's other you know players in the NFL who say you want to know what this team you know that might be their record, but you know we kind of like what they're going on there. So I mean I think that's going to help with the free agency. Obviously, look the Kenny Britt signing. You know I'm from Jersey. Kenny Britt, the Rutgers guy from Jersey. There's good Kenny Britt. There's bad Kenny Britt. Obviously, bad Kenny Britt camped out in Cleveland. If they wanted it inactive him for the rest of the season i'd be okay with it i'd be fine with it but now you're in a position where you know you can maybe lure some guys who weren't looking at cleveland but maybe will look at cleveland going into this offseason yeah it's um and you know i think the, the this idea that like players don't want to come to cleveland i think while that's probably um can be true in a sense i think if you offer someone enough money they're going to come i mean if you look at kevin zeitler who is a um, top of the market free agent, you know, the Browns offered him a, a lot of money and kind of lured him away. I think that you can, I think that they're always going to have the ability to, especially with all the cap space they have to bring, to bring in people who otherwise 
wouldn't look at a team because they couldn't afford them. So I, I think that like that sort of mindset, I, I think, is usually kind of false about oh they can't attract free agents. It's, you know, if you have enough money, you're going to be able to attract free agents. And you know, the Glover Quinn comments were funny because I think you could probably go back and in various years over the Browns history and find a similar quote from some opposing player about, you know, the Browns have a lot of talent they haven't put together yet, whatever, whatever it may be. But I, I do think that, um, Glover Quinn is correct in talking about the, the athleticism of the Browns and maybe more than they have been in a very long time. If you're just talking purely athleticism, if you're looking at a guy like Miles Garrett, if you're looking at David Njoku, if you're looking at Jabril Peppers, even Deshaun Kaiser, who um, is incredibly quick for, for how big he is and how durable he is. They, I mean, they have a lot of guys that are are certainly athletic, uh, while some of them still need to, to develop as football players. I I do think that's a um, one of the more exciting things about the young kind of core of, of guys that they do have is just how how what their measurements were at the combine, what they what they put out on the field um, so far this year is yeah there's certainly a bunch of athletic dudes and it's and it's fun to watch them play even if right now um, as rookies in the league they're relying more on that athleticism than actual kind of technique and football prowess and you hope that's the stuff that that comes in the later years but. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm a free agent next year and I'm looking at the Browns and whatever their record finishes and, um, whatever it may be, there's obviously going to be a lot of negatives kind of looking from the outside in, but if I'm a free agent too, I'm also looking at, okay, you're going to have year two of, of Miles Garrett, year two of, year two of maybe Deshaun Kaiser, and I'm sure that's something we'll get into, but, um, year two of. Uh, Jabril Peppers, year two of Njoku, another year with this offensive line to kind of gel together even more, and they've really picked it up over the last few weeks. I mean, there there are there are pieces in place. It's just going to be a matter of continued development, um, continued success in the draft. Uh, but I do think that they will be able to lure free agents, especially because they can offer them probably more money than they're going to be able to to look at from other places. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's going to be an interesting situation. And obviously, you know, the biggest thing going here in the next seven games is going to be, you know, the growth of you know these young guys. Uh, for me on this show, I continuously talk about the four D's on offense and Deshaun and Duke and David Njoku and Seth DeValve. Um, you know, obviously the wide receiver core, you know, Josh Gordon, you know, the purple you know unicorn in the room, whether or not you, know, <laughs> I mean, you got to base him basically day by day. But, you know, you have Corey Coleman, so that's some really interesting things going further. We have Jordan Zerm here with us, uh, joining us on Lockdown Browns, episode 116. Guys, great time now to go ahead, you know, hit the uh, subscribe button on iTunes, leave me a big, fat five-star review, all that good stuff. I truly appreciate it. We're going to now get to Deshaun Kaiser, Jordan. Um, obviously, look, uh, you know, two most important positions in the NFL are having the elite pass rusher, which it looks like they have that guy Granted, albeit it's been a, a small sample size to this point, but the quarterback, um, Deshaun, it was kind of a rocky beginning. And the, the toughest part about Sunday for Deshaun was it was a fantastic effort on his part. Um, but most people just want to focus on a terrible, you know, freshman high school football mistake. But uh, give me some thoughts here on Deshaun and, you know, where we're progressing. And look, you know, as before you get into it, you're going to bring in some competition for him. Because you have capital up the wazoo between free agency, which should be a good class quarterback-wise. I know you tweeted about this today. I tweeted back at you. And the draft class is deep in numbers with quarterbacks. But go ahead and you know give me your thoughts on Deshaun and where you think he's at right now. 
Yeah, I, I continue to have no idea what happened um, just before halftime with Kaiser kind of calling that audible. Um, so we're just going to kind of uh, crumple that one up and toss it out and hope that that, <laughs> that never, ever happens again. But he has had some struggles in terms of audibles at the goal line this season, if you remember a uh, game against the, I believe it was against the Jets. Um, the speed option. The speed option. That actually, been, oh, my God. It actually wasn't a bad audible. It just was executed horribly. Um, so he <laughs> he's had a couple instances that um, have not gone well at the goal line. Um, so we'll just hope that those are those are rookie things that he's just getting out of his system when while while he's still young in it, and it doesn't matter in a season where they're not going to make the playoffs. Um, I I'm I remain intrigued by Deshaun Kaiser. I was intrigued when they drafted him. I had. Watch Deshaun in terms of looking at quarterbacks last year in the draft when I when I started to kind of really get into kind of watching some of their tape in college and um, watching the the main guys. Kaiser was one of the guys that I got to last, and um, I didn't pay as much attention to him because he there were so many reports about him dropping and and all this stuff. So I kind of focus on some of the other guys like Mitch Trubisky and um, those guys and Deshaun Watson. Uh, and then I got to Kaiser and I watched him first and didn't come away I, did, I didn't like him very much I didn't come away all that excited about it and then when the Browns um, drafted him I kind of went back and and did a more in-depth kind of viewing of, of his time at Notre Dame and he's such an intriguing prospect because he does and I've said this before and on my Twitter account and other podcasts too he does so many things that he he does some things very elite that just little things from footwork to avoiding the rush in the pocket while keeping his head up to um, just being able to go through his progressions and all that. Like he did a lot of things that court, that it takes time for rookie quarterbacks to do. He does those really well. But then on the flip side of it, his accuracy and sometimes his field vision um, was really inconsistent. So he was almost like the opposite of what you get from the highly touted kind of college quarterback where they've got big arms, they um, can see the field well, they make really tough throws, but then when it comes to when they're pressured or when they have guys in their face, they kind of freak out. Uh, Kaiser was like the opposite of that. When he had pressure on him, he actually kind of thrived, um, and he kind of showed off things that you would expect from an NFL quarterback a couple years into his career, um, that he did those well. But we've kind of seen those inconsistencies kind of come into come to fruition this season. And I had I I started out high on him, and as the season went on, and even before the before the Minnesota game, and I, I think he's—I still think he struggled in the Minnesota game, but I thought he—he he really kind of started to kind of come along in that game. But you know, this—you saw the struggles in the red zone. When you go back and watch the All-22, he's missed countless wide-open receivers on plays because he's just not looking in that direction, and he's already either locked onto a target or he's leaving a clean pocket too early or whatever it may be. He was doing a lot of things that were pretty discouraging. Um, and you and he was missing throws, and you were wondering if that was if his flaw in college was going to become his fatal flaw in the NFL. But then something funny happened where, and this is such a lesson in how to in how long it kind of takes to evaluate a quarterback fully, and we probably won't even know for sure until he even gets done with next season. But especially last week, there there were things that he was doing that really that he hadn't really done all year that were were super encouraging from something I noticed almost immediately was something he struggled to do all year is get the ball out quick. He's really had a tendency to hesitate, whether it's on a short route, whether he's waiting for a route to develop down the field. He's had this 
he's had this weird hesitancy hesitancy where if he would have just gotten the ball out a couple seconds earlier on some thrones dur- throws during the season, um, his numbers would look way better. Against, um, yeah, I'm blanking on who they who they played last week. I don't know why I'm doing that. Oh, the Lions. Detroit. Excuse me. Yes, thank you. Um, he really started to get the ball out of his hand and stop hesitating. Um, there was one throw that I kind of highlighted on my, my Twitter account, um, getting it out to, I believe it was Ricardo Lewis. This was a, it was an incomplete pass, but he threw the ball before Ricardo came out of his break. And that's something he struggled with all year where he's waiting for a receiver to come out of their break and then throwing it instead of kind of throwing it to a spot as the guy's coming out of his break. And he really started to do that against the Lions. Um, and just seeing that as tangible evidence of him improving in an area where he struggled all year and then kind of putting together his full game where he made some really nice throws. Um, he made quick decisions in the pocket when certain things weren't there and he took off running and he got a couple of huge gains because um, the Lions kind of left the middle of the field open and he recognized that and he just kind of took off. So I am a lot more encouraged after last week and the last couple of weeks by Kaiser's progress than I was even a few weeks before that. And I think it just really teaches you um, – that you need to be patient with some of these guys, and you, it's not fair, especially with the receivers that he's been playing with. It's not fair to make an evaluation of Kaiser um, eight games into a season. And my hope is is that he continues to build on these performances, and some of these things that he struggled with earlier in the year are going to start to click, and you're going to see a different quarterback as we kind of head into year two of him. So I, I, I'm excited after what he did against the Lions because I really think it was his by far his best game of the season. Um, and the thing that kind of impressed me most is it, it, they've kind of, you know, been going revolving door almost at the wide receiver position. And, you know, this week, you know, these guys are one, two, these guys, you know, now we're one, two, three. But last week, you know, he kind of found his niche and I kind of, I keep using this analogy. It was almost like a baseball lineup. He was able to use these guys in what they do well. And it was nice to see Sammy Coates get a little bit involved because Sammy Coates, you know, He's not the greatest wide receiver in the world. Obviously, he has a history of drops, but he can get vertical. That first throw, you know, Deshaun threw it with confidence, and then he was able to go with it from there. Look, Kenny Britt, as much as the headache as he is, he does bring a presence. We're talking about a guy with multiple thousand-yard seasons in the NFL, and he was able to use each one of these guys in the roles. Higgins knows how to, you know, on third and six, get himself to the sticks and find a soft spot in his zone. And this was all stuff that looked good on Sunday. And this is, you know, what you like from Deshaun. And now you keep in mind, you're getting Corey Coleman back this week. You know, maybe you're going to get Josh Gordon. You're going to add to this positional group as it goes forward. And, you know, if you enhance the talent there, I mean, a, a game like Sunday against Detroit showed that he can work with what he's given if it's, you know, NFL, you know, you know NFL talent level type of stuff. You know, the running game, and even after the gaff at halftime, the way those guys came back, they ran the living daylights out of the balls to start the second half. You know, everybody ran. You know, the offensive line had his back. The running backs had his back. They ran hard. They ran ferocious. And then even when he got hit and knocked out for the time that he was, you looked around and you saw these guys in Cleveland. Like, they were, like, hurt. Like, oh, man. Like, you know, they. it seemed like the team is starting to believe in him with the mistakes that he had, it was impressive to see because, you know, here's a kid who's, you know, gone through some steps through college and now with his head head coach here in the NFL, there's people doubting him, but it didn't look like Sunday his teammates were doubting him. 
Oh, it definitely did not. And it definitely looked like it was it was that game that, that clicked for him that we've all kind of been waiting for. And, you know, we talk about the, the, the fateful audible that happened before the half, but he also did some, if we stay on the subject of audibles, he also did something I thought that was pretty impressive because it looked like on, on the touchdown to the aforementioned Kenny Britt, who had his first game where he looked like an actual NFL receiver all season. We'll see if, we'll see <laughs> if that's more... Yeah, or he cared, or he knows that Josh Gordon is coming back and his job may be on the line. Who knows what it was? Um, but Kaiser, it looked like Kaiser audibled Britt's route. He kind of raised his hands, and I believe Britt kind of took a step forward from his, his original alignment um, on the line of scrimmage. Now, I'm not 100% sure if he changed his route or he just changed what the play was going to be, but whatever split. it may be. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was just a quick out to Britt, who then you know made a move and scored a touchdown. But it's just little things like that that you see him doing extremely confidently, where he's looking at maybe where the cornerback was playing, saw that the cornerback was playing off, so they kind of, yeah, they moved his split. They, they wanted to, he saw what, he could get the ball out quick and let Kenny make a, make a move. So it's just like small things like that that you're seeing from him um, that he's starting to do really well. And I I do think that the team, I mean, it's not saying much because obviously Cody Kessler comes in and it's just abysmal. It takes multiple sacks and overthrows a wide open Bryce Treggs by about 10 yards that would have been a for sure touchdown. So they don't have, you know, between Kevin Hogan and Cody Kessler, there's not a whole lot in terms of quarterback behind Kaiser on this roster. Maybe but like, two of them are a number two quarterback. Yeah, yeah, if you could combine them together, I don't know what you're going to get. It'd be a weird kind of mutant, but um yeah, I, I do think that they're starting to kind of respond to him. And I do think, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of very cliche things you can say about a player being quote-unquote tough and earning the respect of his team. But, man, I do think that, like, watching Kaiser get drilled, somehow not um, not break any ribs after Njoku whiffed on a block on the edge, um, and then come back and, like, no, look no worse for the wear. Like, he came back out firing after a couple series off. Like, I do think that's a big deal to players, and I think that that's something, especially when you're 0-9 and, and you get hit that hard, Kaiser could have just been like, nah, you know, like, I'm, <laughs> we're going to lose this game. I'm good. I'm not coming back in and I'm risking further injury, but he came back in, and he had to throw because they were down two touchdowns, and um, he came back and did it, and I, I do think it, like, something like that, you know, as cliche as this whole thing is, I do think that that shows off some toughness from a rookie who has no fear and kind of comes right back in. So my my hope really at the end of this is that he plays well enough these last few weeks and they hopefully get a win or two and see what happens with that. And if he plays well enough to the point where they're still going to address the quarterback position, whether it's finding somebody in free agency to either compete with him or be a better backup than Cody Kessler and Kevin Hogan, or if they feel the need to take a quarterback next year in the draft, whatever it may be. But if they could really not have to make quarterback a priority, a we have to take a quarterback with the number one pick in the draft type of thing, I think it would be, it would be huge because that's twofold. That, that means one, um, you can go elsewhere in the draft and fill in other needs that you have. And then two, that means that Deshaun Kaiser is playing well and you can go into your second season um, with him confident that like he's going to be a good starting quarterback for you. So um, that is my hope. I'm encouraged after the Lions game. It's going to be interesting to watch them play the Jaguars who have a absolutely ferocious defense. So Kaiser's going to have his work cut out for him and it's going to be cold and snowy here. So it's just going to be a completely different football game. But um I'm looking forward to what he can do, and I, I truly hope that he does enough that they really can put the quarterback position kind of not on the back burner, but at least take a step back from it and focus on some other things in the offseason. 
Yeah, see, because that was even the thing. I mean, with the times that Hewis pulled him, it's like you don't have a better option. Um, you know, if you had maybe a veteran, and, you know, I had Matt Miller on from Bleacher Report the other night, and he was like, if you could get a guy capable of giving you a 2017 Josh McCown effort, a, a guy where if you took Deshaun out, like, look, this guy can play for a couple of weeks in place of you due to the mistakes you're making. Right. So, and I think that's where Deshaun was almost started. He's like, who are you guys kidding? I'm the most talented guy here. You know, and, and look, these guys got to show their wherewithal and it didn't work out. And he's your guy for now. There's no reason to bring in a number two guy who is a lot more than just a baseball cap wearer. And, and you should do it because you have all that capital. So hedge your bets. Even if you draft a guy when you have, you know, six picks that may be in the top 67, 68, whatever, by all means, go ahead, bring in another quarterback. If it all works out beautifully, that's a, somebody can be moved on for a pick from there on. Uh, I want to get a little bit here to the D, though. Uh, you know, Jamie Collins now out for the year. Um, is is this really that bad, or is this defense grown enough where they can overcome the loss of a guy like Jamie Collins because you know the strength is in the numbers? Yeah, the Collins thing is odd because he had a really quiet year, and I mean, I know he's, he was, he's not he's not been the guy he was in New England. No, he is not, and um, it's kind of disappointing because I, I thought of all the the struggles and kind of dysfunction of last season that once Collins had been here, once he came over in that trade midway through the season, like and had been in this defense for a few weeks, I thought he started to play pretty well. Now, this was that was under Ray Horton and not Greg Williams, so I don't know you know, if his usage was a little bit different, but um, we've kind of seen this year the Collins that earned some some criticism on his way out of New England in terms there's of... A, there's a reason, Bill, Bill Muzak. There's a reason. Yeah, exactly. So you've kind of seen that, that freelancing, um, that penchant for freelancing that he has. He's still made... You still see those flashes from him where you understand why the Browns traded for him but yeah between his um you know the concussion early on now he's out for the year and in the games he played and he really didn't aside from the interception against the Lions and that you know he was injured on that play um he really hadn't made a ton of plays um it'll be interesting to see because Burgess who who came in and replaced him now Burgess has actually got hurt in that game too and I'm not up to date on what his status is but um I liked his Jet game. I thought he played really well against the Jets. He did. I thought he came in and struggled a little bit against the Lions. But again, you're kind of thrusting a guy in when he's, um, you know, not exactly when he's cold on the sideline. All of a sudden, he's he's one of your starting linebackers for the rest of the game. Um, but I don't think the loss of Collins is going to like kill their defense, just because I don't think Collins had he'd been out for so many games, and I don't think he'd really made that big of an impact when he was in. Um, the defense is really interesting to me because I've kind of maintained all year that um, I really like this defense, and I, I don't think, you know, people kind of scoffed at the fact that the Browns were number one overall in the league in defense, which to me is is just hilarious because, like, we shouldn't be scoffing at anything about this team if they're good yeah. at it <laughs> at this point in their development. <laughs> Take um, what you can get. Exactly. And so it's been really fun to watch. Like, Emmanuel Agba's development has been incredible. Like, I liked him last year, but I, I did not in my wildest dreams think in year two he not only was, you know, going to continue to rack up some sacks, but he's been unbelievable against the run. Sorry, I you know, he, is going, he is going to be a prototypical perfect DN number two. Yeah. They are such a nice combo going forward. 
Absolutely. So like Garrett and Agba are an incredibly exciting duo to play with. And then, you know, they, they need um, a dynamic kind of interior guy um, because guys like Caleb Brantley and Trevon Coley has played well, but he's not quite the, the dynamic kind of in, inside defensive lineman that you would want. Um, I do think uh, Larry Ogunjobi, who has played limited snaps and has been hurt for the past couple weeks, um, he's been phenomenal against the run. And I'm hoping that... Um, since he's back healthy now this week, I believe he's practicing that they will yep. kind of up his snap count a little bit because I, I think he's a he's really good um, and needs more opportunities to play. So I like the line. Um, I think something the Browns have always kind of struggled with has been their linebackers. They've not really had a huge kind of playmaking, you know, in the mold of, of Von Miller, even though, you know, Miller's up playing up at the line a lot. Um They've, they've just never had somebody who's been kind of deft at rushing the passer and um, wreaking havoc on the end. Like, I think Joe Schobert is good, and I think he's made a lot of plays this season, um, but he's not kind of – he rarely gets home on blitzes. He's not the most athletic dude in the world. Um, we touched on Collins. I, I, Christian Kirksey this year has been up and down. I thought he had a really bad game against the Jets – or, excuse me, the Lions. Like, he – multiple times in zone coverage, he kind of left his assignment. One was on the touchdown pass to, to Theo Riddick where he ran into the middle where Joe Schobert was already, leaving Riddick wide open. I don't know what he was doing on that. And then he did that again later on in the game. So, um, Kirksey hasn't really been – like, I know – I know Kirksey has gotten you know good grades from guys from Pro Football Focus last year, and I I, I know that um, he's talked about highly, but he's just not in. When you say impact as a linebacker, I just don't think the Browns have that. Um, and then the corners are going to be interesting. Like they seem to kind of fluctuate between Jamar Taylor and Brian Body Calhoun. One guy has a good game one week, but the other doesn't, and then they're just not. Um, I think they're talented. It'll be interesting to see where they go. And then, obviously, the conversation about you know the use of Jabril Peppers is probably could, do a, full, could do a full podcast on that itself. But um, so again, I think I I like the defense, and I think the defense because the Browns' offense has turned the ball over more than any team in the league. I, I think that like it's unfair to put their yards you know yards against and um, points allowed being last in the league, I think that's unfair to just look Minnesota, at that. Minnesota game is the prime example. Yes, exactly. And so I think it's really unfair when people are like, the only stat that matters is, you know, points allowed. It's like, okay, fine. But like, if you want to look past the surface of it and, you know, understand like why these points are being scored, I think the Browns defense has put a, they're on the field a ton, a, and then B um, they're put in really bad situations. So they've been abysmal in the red zone and I cannot stand how often Greg Williams blitzes, especially because the Browns rarely get there on blitzes. So it's not working, but he keeps doing it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think, right? Oh my gosh. So it's just like, I don't know why he keeps forcing these blitzes when like the Browns just don't really have linebackers that are getting there. Um, so anyway, it's just, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. But again, much like the offense, I think they're further along than the offense in terms of development and talent. Um, they're just pieces that need to grow, and there's the defense. They need to add more pieces to it, very much like the offense. But I really do like um, I like the guys that they have, and I think they've drafted really well on that side of the ball. And I think Agba is kind of a, a prime example of that. Uh, I think part of the problem is is you know they have this lust for the deep free safety I don't think they have a guy on the roster right now that can do it. Nope. And I feel I feel bad for Jabril Peppers. Um, you look at what he went through from Michigan, you know, from cornerback to safety to linebacker. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know, because I don't think 
you know, one guy is going to cover the loss of Jamie Collins. You know, maybe it's Burgess. You know, maybe finally we'll get Jabril in a position where he's more comfortable. So that's going to be interesting how they handle that. Uh, before we let you go here, we got a couple of listener questions, and we we have to address this one. Um, it doesn't seem like the harmony is too great between Hugh and the front office. Um, Sashi versus Hugh, and this is from Paul Spencer. Paul wasn't a huge fan when I took over the show. He preferred the previous host. Um, <laughs> I'm able to turn him around. Okay. He's on board now. He was looking forward to this show. Um if there's a decision to be made, whether it's Hugh versus the front office, you have to make one. Which way are they going? Yeah. If if it were up to me, it would be that I'd keep the front office. And I I say that because I think I think the way that Hugh Jackson has handled um, the quarterback situation and handled Deshaun Kaiser has been um, fairly ridiculous. Uh, and I think he's handled Hugh Jackson. That is, has handled himself poorly in the media. He's he's he oh. said some things, especially the stuff about Kaiser when it went from "we're standing with him no matter what" to "yeah, we're oh benching him." For, I've said this a thousand times. Thank yeah, go ahead. for Kevin Hogan and just stuff he says on a on a daily basis. Where now all of a sudden it's uh, you know Kaiser's still going to be really good starter in this league. It's like he just can't help himself uh, in saying sort of outlandish things. But even more so when it comes to like tangible things, he it's taken him till I really think like the Minnesota game before he decided he maybe should simplify the offense a little bit for Deshaun Kaiser and for a 21 year old rookie. What a shock. What a shock. I mean, you know, we all remember when he threw 47 times against Indianapolis in like week three and how (laughs) often they were running vertical routes with nobody over the middle for Kaiser to throw to early on in the season Um, and how he refused to kind of run the ball. So while I think that's changed over the past few weeks, and, and I'm, I'm happy it did because I think you've seen a way better offense, which, you know, isn't a coincidence. Um, I, it's frustrating that for some reason it took this long for him to kind of tailor an offense to what it should be for a rookie quarterback, especially because he was known, especially in Cincinnati, as a guy that played to the strengths of his quarterback. And um, he has not done that here, and he's handled it so poorly. And so that, to me, just that reason alone, if, if there had to be a decision made, um, I, I would stick with the front office. And that's not to say that um, the front office is free from any blame here. They obviously... Um, you know, if, if Kaiser works out, it'll be great, but they obviously are going to forever get flack for, you know, passing on, on Watson and Wentz. And that's always going to be something that's going to be a legitimate criticism of. Um, and I think they thought that they could kind of build, build the team out and around the quarterback and then bring the quarterback in. And I think that's, um, I, I don't think that's the right way to think, but I also think that they have, hit on on more players than people think and I I think it's got to be difficult especially when we saw all that AJ McCarron stuff come out which I think is solely something that Hugh Jackson wanted and went to the front office and said find me a way to get AJ McCarron of all people um I I think that's hard to deal with and then you're putting Sashi in a in a spot where he's got to go in front of the media and try to explain you know what happened and um so I, I would definitely keep the front office because I think that they've at least stuck to their plan. I think they've, they've, they're in a great position in the draft next year because they've been able to stockpile assets. And um, Hugh has been very frustrating to me in terms of his play calling and his handling of the quarterback. 
Well, I think the thing with you is, and look, I, I understand, you know, wanting a W or two for the locker room and everybody's going to be happy. But, you know, that has something to do with those guys in the locker room. But there's no difference between 3-29 and 29 or 1-31. and 31. At the end of the day, that is your record, Hugh. And the thing is, if the offense is not equal to the defense, hey, buddy, guess what? You're here to coach the offense. And that's where Hugh is in the tough spot here. Uh, I do have one more listener question before we let you go here, Jordan. Right, and actually, this is one I've been screaming about all week. Uh, the defensive line substitutions. Oh, man. <laughs> Sunday versus Detroit. <laughs> Look, I mean, this is in college when it's Alabama versus McNeese State. Um, you know, and this is Big Town Brown. You know, why are you taking off the entire defensive line for a second string defensive line? Uh, there's there's second string for a reason. What in the world was that about? I I don't know. This is the same thing. I spent a lot of time because I noticed it while I was watching the game that when I went back to kind of see what had happened on those plays, it was like I'm not even against rotating defensive linemen. Obviously, like they need you know guys need to sit out for a few plays so they can kind of catch the breath. But like it was it was not only that they were taking out Agba Shelton and. Garrett all at the same time it was that they were taking them out when they had just been on the sideline after like a long drive by the offense so they were it's not even even like they were tired and I looked to that first drive um up 10 the Browns were up 10 to 3 or maybe it was 10 no excuse me it was 10 to nothing so the Browns Mm -hmm. had just scored um just scored that touchdown and it's 10 nothing you got all the momentum and Four straight plays, so it was almost like the Lions, once they recognized what was going on, because they 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 had a handoff three plays, and one of the other plays was Stafford taking off on a run. And so when you, you had Massive and you had Orchard in there, and they both would over-pursue, or they couldn't get off their blocks, or whatever it was, um, they lost contain. And then before you, four plays later, I think they went, you know, 50 some yards and they're already in field goal range. It's just that type of thing that is like so incredibly deflating for a team that um, had had two phenomenal defensive stands coming into the game. The first two drives, you go up 10 to nothing and then it's like, ah, you know what we should do? Let's take out our best two defensive linemen for multiple plays in a row. Um, And this is not even, some people pointed out to me on Twitter that, well, well, they ran, you know, later on in the game, ran against... They had some big running plays against, you know, when Miles Garrett couldn't get the edge or whatever it may be. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Like, it's going to happen during a game when you play, you know, when you're playing a lot of snaps. Like, someone, they're eventually going to break a run on you, which they did to Miles. Um, and had, they had a couple big running plays at the end of the game. But if you there were two instances where they took out those guys for four to five plays in a row. And both of those instances, I believe the Lions ended up with a field goal and a touchdown. And so you're just kind of like... One or two plays, fine. And there, I think there was a drive where they, they played them on first and second down, and then they put in Agba and Garrett back in on third down, and they got them off the field. They got them to have a three and out. So that is fine. But when you're going four or five plays in a row and the team is just driving on you like they did, I just don't really understand it. And I'm hoping that that's some – I don't know who puts in that call, whether it's Greg Williams, whether it's the defensive line coach who's doing that type of rotation. But that's something that you shouldn't – you shouldn't be doing that many plays in a row. And if you're watching a team gash you, then you should stop, even if that was your plan, and say, you know what, guys, sorry, your rest is going to be a little bit shorter because uh, we'd actually like to stop them from scoring points. So I don't know what was going on, but that was driving me nuts. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, yeah. 
look, I mean, you know, if you want to say right now, hey, look, Miles Garrett, you know, we have all this invested in him. Let's put him more in in passing situations. We know Emmanuel is a beast against the run. But, I mean, you just strip him all out. Oh, my God. I mean, it was just – it was maddening. It was foolish. Hopefully, Ogunjobi's back this week. Yes. And maybe you can do it. Look, you know, you know, I don't want to use the baseball term again. More of a lineup. Like, look, okay, you're getting two plays. Now you're getting two plays. Now you're getting two plays. Because you have guys who can rotate. Nassib can do a little bit of both. Right. But, I mean, that was just – good Lord. I mean, it was it was just bad. And you saw Stafford's eyes light, uh, eyes light up like, let's go, let's go, let's go, before they realize what they've just done. Exactly. As many plays as possible. Like, no one uh, is no one is afraid of Nate Orchard or Carl Nassib. And I think that, like, Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogba teams are like, okay, where are they on every play? But you're not doing that with those two. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Exactly. Uh, Lockdown Browns, episode 116, Jordan Zerm, ESPN, Cleveland, Bleacher Report. Guys, I, can't, I don't have time to list his entire resume. Go ahead, <laughs> follow him on Twitter. Uh, you know, Real quick, uh, give me a prediction on Sunday. Yeah, so if you go to my Twitter profile, you will see at the uh, top of my page, my pinned tweet, I am... I'm calling. Oh my yeah, shot. I'm, I saw you. I saw <laughs> you. I'm calling my shot. Um, I'm coming out swinging. I I think the Browns will get their first win of 2017 uh, against Jacksonville, and I I think this is because um, one is the weather. So the forecast right now is calling for mid 30s and snow on Sunday. Uh, it's not Jag- even that. It's the wind. It's the and, wind. and the wind. You get that Lake Erie wind, and the Jaguars played at home last week, so they've been they've been chilling in in sunny Florida for the for the past cu- past couple of weeks and um, soaking up that sun and getting working on that that winter tan that only Floridians really get to do. And now they gotta they gotta come here to Cleveland where it's gonna be freezing. So that's one. Two. Um, I, I took a little time today to watch uh, Blake Bortles last week, and sorry. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, it was actually more enjoyable because it gave me hope that um, that they really are going to win this week. I mean, the, the Chargers' defense is bad, but man, he or, is good. Excuse me, but man, Bortles is just just not a good quarterback. Inaccurate, can't see the field very well. So um, it is for these reasons that I believe the Browns are going to win a very low-scoring game on Sunday. Um, and come out with their first win of the year, and I, I'm ready for it. Uh, I've already had a lot of people. Res- I think I have like 60 responses um, to that tweet, so I will be. I retweeted it, so I apologize. <laughs> no, it's all right. Whichever uh, whichever way it goes, I'm going to get a lot of reaction from it. So we will uh, we will see what happens. But my I'm shooting my shot, and that's it. And uh, we'll see what goes down. Well, also no Alan Hearns, which could be difficult for them. Yes. All yep. right, guys. Episode with uh, 116, Mr. Jordan Zerm. Let's go Browns tomorrow night. Kyle Krabs Thursday. We always like to do the draft talk because you the Browns. You're allowed to do that. Uh, <laughs> Friday night, Pete Smith. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll have this up for you by uh, 9 a.m. tomorrow. Jordan, thanks for your time, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, it was fun. Thanks so much.